Hello and welcome back. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm Jamie and I am a Blues Disciple. Folks, Blues Disciples is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And please note that earphones or earbuds will enhance your listening pleasure. Today we'll explore some of the music of major blues artist Mr. Fred McDowell, who was born in Tennessee in 1904 and passed away in 1972. As a child, Fred McDowell learned to play guitar, and by his teens, he was earning money playing and singing for parties and dances around his hometown of Rossville, Tennessee. At the age of 24, he moved to Mississippi to pick cotton and settle around the town of Como in the heart of northern Mississippi's hill country. His music was heavily influenced by local legend and fife and drum master Mr. Sid Hemphill. Mr. McDowell adopted the rhythmic hill country blues style, and after being discovered and first recorded by Mr. Alan Lomax in 1959, he became widely known as Mississippi Fred McDowell, and his slide guitar genius gained him worldwide fame and respect. Our friend, ethnomusicologist, discoverer, producer, and blues musician, Dr. David Evans, had a unique perspective and developed a strong and creative relationship with Mr. Fred McDowell and his music. We're fortunate to have Dr. Evans share with us a little about his meeting, working with, and recording Mr. Fred McDowell back in the 1960s. Here is Dr. Evans with some background. Well, my involvement with Fred McDowell came in two different ways. Uh, I had seen him once back in Cambridge, Massachusetts, probably around 1964, when I was a student there. I can't remember when it was. It might have been over the summer. I know Fred appeared at the Newport Folk Festival that summer. Uh, I didn't go to the festival, but I did see Fred around that time. Uh, Alan Lomax produced a series of tours. Let's see, he brought Joseph Spence. He brought Fred McDowell, I think maybe one or two other artists up to Cambridge and probably some other college concerts in the Northeast around that time. Of course, Alan Lomax was the one who discovered Fred McDowell uh, back in 1959 on his great field trip that he made through the South. He went to Como, Mississippi area, I think mainly to try to relocate Sid Hemphill, whom he had recorded back in 1942. And it was probably Sid or Lucius Smith, who played with Sid, Sid's banjo player and drummer, who told him about another fife and drum band, uh, the Young Brothers, who were still active. They had a complete band sound, whereas Sid Hempel was pretty much retired from fife and drum music. So Alan recorded the Young Brothers, and I think it was they who told him about Fred McDowell. At any rate, one of these other artists introduced uh, Alan to Fred McDowell, and of course, Fred was one of his great, great discoveries, one of his many great discoveries, of course. Uh, Alan did some incredible fieldwork over many years. So Fred had gotten on the touring circuit starting around 1964, and I moved to California in 1965. And then in 1966, November, Fred was booked at the Ashgrove, a folk club in Los Angeles, California. And they asked me and Marina Bokelman if he could stay with us. We would get him to his gigs at the Ashgrove. And of course, we were delighted to do this, Fred being such a great musician. And meanwhile, though, uh, Fred had 
recorded for uh, Pete Welding in Chicago earlier in 1966. Fred had come up there with the gospel group that the Hunter Chapel singers that he performed with on the radio. They had, I think, a 15-minute program every Sunday morning, and Fred sang and played guitar with them. And somehow, I don't know how this group happened to tour, but uh, at any rate, they reached Chicago, and uh, Pete Welding recorded them there and uh, put out an album on his Testament label. That was in February of 1966. Then Pete came to Los Angeles to become a grad student at UCLA uh, starting in the fall semester of 1966. So he arrived, I guess, probably around August or September of 66. And Fred was booked to appear in LA in November. So Pete renewed his connection with Fred and arranged to record him in November. And I had become friends with Pete right after he arrived there. We were fellow grad students. And with Fred staying with me, Pete asked me to kind of help prepare Fred to try to dig into his repertoire a little bit further. Uh, Fred had been recorded quite a bit by that time, not only by Alan Lomax, but I think Chris Strackwitz had started recording Fred for Arhuli. And uh, so a lot of his repertoire had already been recorded and Pete was trying to find new material. And so I kind of, you know, had a lot of time with Fred, you know, could talk with him. I worked in a sort of A&R capacity for Pete prepping Fred and getting repertoire together so we wouldn't lose time in the studio or just be asking for songs at random. In other words, we knew what we were intending to record. Of course, Fred could always come up with some surprises. So, uh, you know, those were always welcome too and there may have been some on these sessions. Uh, Then there was a second session with Pete Welding in March 1968. Fred came out again to L.A. to play at the Ash Grove, and Pete wanted to make another recording session for him. Meanwhile, a lot more material had come out on Arhuli, I think, and of course Pete's 1966 recordings had come out. And again, I was trying to dig into Fred's repertoire and get older material, songs that he had kind of put aside in his repertoire, sort sort of his early material, a lot of it without bottleneck. Of course, Fred had become so well known for his bottleneck playing, but he had a lot of great songs that he did without the bottleneck as well. The studio was actually the sort of music lab at the Folklore and Mythology Center at UCLA on campus. They had a couple of big professional Ampex stereo recording machines. These were monster uh, machines that took 10-inch reels, and Pete used that as a sort of improvised uh, recording studio. So as usual from here, I will mention a particular recording and Dr. Evans will provide us information specific to Mr. McDowell and that recording before we play it for you. How about when I lay my burden down? Well, this was a song that Pete Welding recorded in Chicago before he came out to L.A. Uh, This was in February of 1966 with the Spiritual Group. There was a radio station in Senatobia, just a few miles north of Como, where Fred lived, WSAO, that had uh, live gospel music on Sunday mornings, and a lot of local 
spiritual groups, mostly quartets, would sing in 15-minute segments. They'd get a sponsor, some local store or business, might be the the local undertaker, or it could be a, a dollar store or something like that, would pay the station a little bit to sponsor the program. I, I don't know, maybe they paid the group a small sum uh, as well, but mostly the groups used it to advertise their local gospel programs, and they just did it to build themselves up locally. I mean, if you had a radio show, you were somebody, you know, you weren't just a bunch of local amateurs, you know. So it raised your status. So anyway, this group, the Hunter Chapel Singers, that was a church in Panola County out east of Como that Fred went to. Other Turner's family also went to Hunter Chapel. And then later on, Reverend John Wilkins, the late Reverend Wilkins, a guitar player and singer, was the pastor of Hunter Chapel. It's quite an important venue or place for music history. When I Lay My Burden Down is a very well-known song in the Como and Senatobia area. It's also performed as a fife and drum piece. Napoleon Strickland, Other Turner used to do it. Other's granddaughter, Charday Thomas, still performs it with fife. Long Way From Home album, 
the train I ride. Okay, train I ride. This has an unusual form. At least it doesn't conform to the three-line A-A-B form that's uh, so familiar in most blues. It uses kind of a two-line stanza structure, and it's basically just uh, A-A, uh, one line repeated. And uh, there's a very percussive piece. Of course, uh, Fred was a very percussive uh, guitar player in general. And this is just, you know, a really, really strong piece that uh, Fred performs. The percussive quality and highly rhythmic quality, fast rhythmic quality is very appropriate for a train-themed blues. Train I Ride, 16 coaches long, of course, a very familiar line in a lot of traditional blues. Lordy, when I'm gone, I know you won't miss me. 
missing your home. I'm missing rolling in your home. Rolling in your home. Lord, in your home. Rolling in your home. Why I make it long from here. Make it long from Poor boy, long way from home. Well, this is another more or less train theme piece. It's a hobo song and one of the oldest traditional blues that there is, almost always played in slide style, as Fred does here in open D tuning, or sometimes called Sebastopol tuning. Uh, this is probably the song or variant of the song that W.C. Handy heard at the his famous encounter with a hobo at the train station in Tutwiler, Mississippi, singing Going Where the Southern Crossed the Dog. And a, a lot of blues singers have done versions of Poor Boy, Long Way From Home. Barbecue Bob from Georgia recorded a version of it. It's especially well known by Mississippi singers. I recorded a version of it by Herb Quinn from the southern part of the state and Oh, gosh, I can't think of all the other people. Uh, John Dudley recorded a version for Alan Lomax at Parchman back in 1959. And there certainly have been other recorded versions of it as well.
How about John Henry? John Henry, of course, this is the famous ballad of the uh, steel driving man, widely known. There's a recent book about John Henry by John Garst, a retired professor at the University of Georgia, doing some very interesting research, trying to find the actual event that inspired the ballad. Many uh, previous scholars believe that it was an event that took place at the Big Bend Railroad Tunnel in West Virginia in the 1870s. However, the ballad doesn't turn up until 1891, and Garst believes that the event actually took place in the late 1880s in Alabama near Birmingham. He compiles a lot of evidence, makes a pretty strong case for the Alabama origins of it. And there are legends in Alabama that do place the event there at a tunnel a little bit outside of Birmingham. There was allegedly a spike in the rock that was supposed to be the one that John Henry drove, that it was left there. And apparently it's disappeared now, but it was there for many, many years. And there's a photograph of it. Oh, they, they, they actually made a photo of it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Fred McDowell doesn't refer to the actual contest with the steam drill. He does refer to John Henry's death. And actually in most black versions or many black versions of the song, it's John Henry's death dying with the hammer in my hand. That seems to be the central theme or image of the song, as it is with Fred's rather fragmentary version of this song. It's still a great version of it and played with slide as many versions of this song are played.
Lord, I got up one morning when it looked like rain. Look around that could come up past that train. Lord John Henry said the boy. Lord John Henry said boy died. Well, there's two more roads that won't turn around. Lord, there's two more roads that won't turn around. Lord, there's two more roads that won't turn around. John Henry the white, there she wore one red. Lad, would I hear her say, I'm going with John Phil dead, Lord, I'm, Lord, I'm going, going, going with John Phil, Lord, I'm going with John Phil dead, Lord, I'm going with John Henry Phil dead, Lord, I'm going with John Henry Big Fat Mama. Okay, Big Fat Mama. Oh, this is played in D minor tuning on the guitar, open D minor, although he plays it in more or less D major. Uh, there's no slide guitar on this, and he sings traditional lyrics to it. The verse of Big Fat Mama with the meat shaking on her bones was used by many blues singers, notably uh, Tommy Johnson had a Big Fat Mama blues that a number of other artists learned from him and have recorded versions of. But uh, Fred's song is not influenced by Tommy Johnson's, it just happens to use that striking image of the <laughs> big fat mama with the meat shaking on her bones uh, as its uh, opening verse. It's a traditional verse, of course, uh, that many blues singers have used in many different blues. Feel like living now, 
Stay alone, little girl. Okay, this, this is one of uh, Fred's cover songs, you might say, or at least blues that's based on a recorded source. In this case, the hit by Bumblebee Slim made in 1934. And many other blues artists, uh, Lead Belly among them, have recorded versions of Sail On, Little Girl, Sail On. Actually, the first version of this, well, probably uh, first version, at least the title, was recorded by Roosevelt Sykes in 1930 for the Paramount label, but nobody has found a copy of it yet. Strange, because of course it's likely that it was Sykes' recording of this title that inspired Bumblebee Slim, and so you would think that Sykes' version was a bit of a hit, but it just has never turned up, so uh, nobody in recent decades has heard it. It may be still out there. Hopefully some collector has a copy of it, or somebody will junk it (laughs) somewhere, and it it will emerge. It'd be very interesting to see how close it is to the Bumblebee Slim version of it.
Switch over now to Levy Camp Blues. 
This is the album that Fred recorded in 1968 and was issued only much later in 1980 by Origin Jazz Library. I, again, was prepping Fred and sort of digging into his early repertoire, and Levy Camp Blues was one of these pieces. There were, of course, no levees around Como, Mississippi, where Fred lived. That was back in the hills. But in his early years, I think he said around 1928, Fred went into the Delta to do some sharecropping around Clarksdale, I think it was. And he probably also did some levee camp work. Uh, a lot of farmers and sharecroppers, when the crops were laid by or in the uh, colder months, they would work in levee camps. It was a wage work, very, very hard work, just hauling dirt up in wheelbarrows or sometimes in mule-drawn wagons up into the levees, onto the tops of the levees, and then dumping it out, going back down, getting another load of dirt. As I said, it was wage work. And these camps were way out on the banks of the rivers, you know, uh, and away from the towns. And uh, the men just stayed in little shacks or tents there. It was a very rough environment. They'd get paid off on Saturdays, and then they'd be away from town, uh, be hard to get into town. And so sometimes the companies would set up juke houses in the camps. They'd bring in musicians there, or some of the workers could play, like uh, Fred McDowell, and they'd bring in gamblers would come in and try to get the money that the men had made. Uh, women would come in and <laughs> try to get the money. So as I say, it was a rough environment. A lot of men would get into fights over gambling or women. And of course, there would be liquor that would be brought in too, maybe sold by the company, or maybe a bootlegger would come in and have a deal with the levy contractor and so on. So uh, <clears throat> that's the way it was in these camps. And of course, the levy camp workers would sing these haulers as they would be driving their mules and or pushing their wheelbarrows. And Fred, uh, like a lot of blues artists simply adapted these songs to guitar. I mean, one theory that I sort of subscribe to is that the origins of a lot of blues were these field haulers and work songs, these solo work cries, basically just set to music. You know, Fred plays it in open G tuning with the slide. Can I drive him? 
captain and he won't go long. He won't eat no I'm a long time skinner, I got that shorted line. I'm a long line skinner, but I got this shorted line. Well, I wake to Luke Captain, Lord, and I wake to Bill. I couldn't find a mule, Lord, with his shoulder well. That Captain Harlan hurry, boy, you know I'm almost flying. Well, that Captain Harlan hurry, Lord, and I'm almost flying. Lord, he got a water bed, baby, he won't even keep time. Let me lay down in your cool iron bed. Yeah, this is one of the few songs that Fred actually played in standard tuning. Uh, he's in the E position of standard tuning. He very seldom used standard tuning, but he, he knew it, as most blues guitarists did. And I think he only played in the key of E in standard tuning. I may be wrong about that, but his verse, Lay Me Down in Your Cool Iron Bed, was also used by uh, Jack Kelly, the Memphis Jug Band performer, in his Cold Iron Bed or Cool Iron Bed that he recorded, I think, in 1934. But uh, this is a somewhat different song. It just happens to use that verse, which is undoubtedly a traditional verse. Please let me lay down, darling. Let me lay down in your cool Well, let me lay down, baby Let me lay down your cool all night Lord, I've been drinking white lightning It's a done gone to my head Well, 
Well, I've been drinking white lightning down there. He's done gone to mine. Well, I bleed to my soul. It was fine on kill me, dear. Lord, I bleed to my soul, baby. Nobody, baby. Oh, my worry. Lord, I ain't got nobody. Baby, oh, my worry. I want you to tell me. Tell me, baby, honey, what have I done Christmas present, darling. Baby, I'm in jail. Lord, bring me a Christmas present, baby. Baby, I'm in jail. My baby, don't treat me like humankind. Yes, uh, th this is a wonderful uh, image, and this is really the blues uh, here. Fred plays an open G tuning with the slide, and this is uh, similar to the piece that he recorded for Alan Lomax, uh, musically similar, in 1959, Write Me a Few Little Lines, that was issued on the Atlantic label, and it was uh, such an inspiring piece. Uh, I know when I first heard it, I, I was just really floored by it. I'm sure Alan Lomax was, too. Lord, my beard got so Won't treat me good no more Well, my beard done got so won't treat me good no more. Well, I blame my 
Okay, so now we've got Jim Steam Killed Lula. Yeah, Jim Steam Killed Lula. This is a very interesting ballad song, what my professor D.K. Wilgus called a blues ballad, because, of course, stylistically, it's so similar to blues. This is one that's localized to the Memphis area and undoubtedly was based on some real event, but Fred didn't really seem to know much about the background of the song. The Memphis Jug Band did a piece called Jim Strainer Blues, and uh, that may have been the perpetrator's real name, and it gives quite a bit of detail of the event. But what actually happened, when and where, other than undoubtedly in the Memphis area, is not known and is yet to be researched. There ought to be newspaper accounts of it, maybe in the Memphis press or the perhaps in some court record of it. First, we'd have to determine when it took place, and that's not known. Most of these blues ballads, it's known only in Black tradition, although the perpetrator, Jim Steam, Jim Strainer, might have been white. We don't know. A lot of these protagonists in these songs were white, Casey Jones, and for example. These were popular among Black and some white singers. This is a very interesting song. There are about four or five versions of it that are known, but the background of it has just not really been thoroughly researched yet. Oh, Jim Kid Lula On a Friday night Oh, Jim Kid Lula On a Friday On a Friday Oh, Jim got ninety, Steam got ninety-nine. Oh, Jim got ninety, Steam got ninety, Steam 
Thousand people at one burying ground. Ten thousand people at one burying, at one burying ground. Get a seat on a take that Polula down. Get a seat on a take Church bell ringing, was one driving slow. Well, that church bell ringing, was one driving, was one driving slow. I ain't so bad, Lord. I ain't so bad How about Peavine Special? Peavine Special. Well, this is the Charlie Patton song. Fred met Charlie Patton when he went to the Delta, I, I think around 1928 or so, when he was in Clarksdale. Patton was just becoming a big recording star, and Peavine Blues was a piece that Patton recorded in his first session in June 1929, and it was issued a few months later. The Peavine was a train that actually ran from Boyle, Mississippi on the main IC line to Dockery, a plantation and a number of other plantations. It was both a passenger train for the sharecroppers on the plantations getting into Boyle or to the main line where they could go to wherever, Clarksdale, Chicago, New Orleans, uh, or uh, it would also haul cotton and other agricultural products from the plantations to the main line to be uh, shipped to market. It was called the Peavine because it wound around to the various plantation depots. Said I think I heard that Peavine will Saying blow just like he ain't gonna blow no more. Said I cried last night, I ain't gonna cry no more. Said I cried last night, I ain't gonna cry no more. Good book, tell you got to believe that what you sow. Say that 
good book to you got to read just what you saw. Say you know, you know, you know that you don't. You know, you know, you know you don't belong. I think I heard that people will Yes, I think I heard that people She blow that back, she ain't gon' blow no more. Will me your gold watch and chain. Yeah, th- this is a song with a World War One theme played in open G tuning, and it must have been a very old piece in Fred McDowell's repertoire. Fred didn't serve in the military. He might have been a little bit too young to be drafted in, in World War One, and then a little bit too old for World War Two. But the songs with wartime themes were quite common. And of course, Blind Lemon Jefferson's wartime blues, and then gospel songs like Blind Willie Johnson's When the War Was On. There were a number of songs on the World War One theme. Of course, black soldiers served uh, very honorably in World War One in France, as they had in uh, all of America's wars. This is often forgotten about a, a very high percentage of George Washington's soldiers in the Revolutionary War were black. But uh, in the War of 1812 and in the Civil War on both sides, especially the Union side, of course, to the Spanish-American War, Teddy Roosevelt's famous charge up San Juan Hill was uh, him and a few white officers in the forefront of black soldiers, the Buffalo soldiers. They also fought in the West in battles with the American Indians. And so that's often overlooked and often forgotten. But those black soldiers fought in all of those wars, and uh, they made a big impact on blues and gospel singers. Should have me go to the army, baby, I'll just wear me a washing chain. Should have me go to the army, wear me a washing chain. Just a promise of me, baby, won't fool around with no other man. Just like a soldier, babe, I don't know about you. 
Just like a soldier, darling, hung out on that battlefield. You know about that, honey. You know just how I feel. I got my question, yeah, baby. Got my question, yeah, darling, and need me, baby, Andy Wall. That question, yeah, darling, need me, Andy Baby, don't you weep and moan Yeah, darling, honey, don't you weep and moan When that war is over, your daddy'll be back home going to see the king okay by and by going to see the king this is a a spiritual song of course and one of the many that fred mcdowell knew in the bottleneck style uh, it had been earlier recorded in that style by blind willie johnson and fred uh, influenced by a number of blind willie johnson's recordings and this piece is probably one of several that uh, fred got from that source Oh, 
God go by my side. Oh, church. God go by my side. God go by my side. Lord, I wouldn't mind dying. By and by, why not sleep? Lord, I wouldn't mind dying, dying. Oh, tell God go by my side. Oh, God go by my side. Oh, dear, God go by my side. Lord, I wouldn't mind dying. By and by, one is As we wind down, I'd like to again thank Dr. David Evans for his time and the valuable information that he shares with us as a result of his incredible research, insights, and hard work with so many early blues and gospel artists that we are better able to appreciate for their honest, original, and beautiful music. Thank you, David. Now, here is Dr. Evans with a final contribution from Mr. Fred McDowell and his music. And thank you again for listening. Wrapping up, Traveling Through the Jungle. Traveling Through the Jungle is a recording that I made myself in 1969. Fred had visited me and Marina in 1966 at the time when I helped Pete Welding on his first album, The Long Way From Home. Fred told me about Napoleon Strickland and Otha Turner. Uh, I asked Fred about other musicians in his community, and I knew that there had been very rich folk music traditions there, fife and drum music, the fiddle music of Sid Hemphill, and so I wanted to record in that community, but I didn't have time to do it in 1967 when I was making another field trip to Mississippi with Marina. So I didn't get to go there until 1969, but uh, the first thing I did was to make contact with Fred again. So I visited him. Uh, He was living in Como. We recorded Napoleon first at Fred's house, and I recorded some fife solos, I think also some guitar blues by Napoleon, maybe some harmonica pieces at that time. And Fred, you know, like many men had played, could could play a little bit of drum music. And so, of course, at his house, we didn't have any drums, so he just picked up a wastebasket and beat out a drum rhythm with it spontaneously to accompany uh, Napoleon's fife playing. I asked Napoleon for a title for the piece, and, you know, a lot of his pieces, these five pieces, really didn't have the titles to it. I mean, Shimmy She Wobble was kind of a generic title that he and Arthur Turner would give to a certain piece, but sometimes Napoleon would give other titles, and he just came up with this title, Traveling Through the Jungle. I feel like rhyming baby through his jungle.
I don't know why I'm gonna be asking when the when the problems ain't come. That's what it is. Driving through the jungle.